spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David E. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs and Beachside Roofing. Hello, and thanks so much for tuning in here on this Aloha Friday. I'm Ryan Kalei joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii. And today, Yanji, once again, we will be spotlighting COVID-19, its impact on our community, and speaking with someone who has a lot of knowledge about what's happening here locally, as well as nationally. That's right. He's one of the folks who's leading vaccinations and testing programs in states across the country. We're joined this morning by Dr. Scott Miskovich, president and CEO of Premier Medical Group. Doctor, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And let me start by saying congrats to both of you for um, a quality show and what you guys are doing. And most importantly, you guys aren't afraid to ask the hard questions. So <laughs> congratulations. We need that in, in COVID. So congrats. Well, thank you for that. Let's start off with the numbers. Yesterday was a pretty shocking day. Uh, to lay, today, a little bit less so, but still uh 3,586 cases reported today. How do you feel about where we are and where the trend is moving? Well, you know, most of us who have been studying this and dealing with this here and in the United States, and actually I'm dealing with it internationally also, uh, this was all predictable. And I've actually gone on, I've gone public to quote that uh, we would be by at 5,000 by the end of this week. I've said that. Um, most of us are predicting we will hit 10,000. So, you know, where we are right now, we're still in this part of the curve. There is zero indication right now that anything is changing the trending on where we are right now. And, you know, so what I hear people saying, oh, we're going to start dropping down. We will. I mean, eventually. But the best indicators of when we're going to drop down in the state in uh, Hawaii is we sh where when when we were able to predict this, I actually was on KITV back at the beginning of November predicting the December surge because it was surging and moving through Eastern Europe and then Western Europe. And all you had to do is do comparisons of these very civilized countries with high quality medical care and parallel vaccination rates. And then you knew that by trending what happened with Delta, it was coming. And so the predictability was quite easy from an epidemiologic and infectious disease perspective. Um, then the real flag was when it jumped over, and this is still Delta, and then we had our two comparative states, New Hampshire and Vermont, who had higher vaccination rates than us, and they were having hospital surges. They had a colon federal and that was before Omicron even set in. So bottom line is if we're going to have any indication of when there will be decreases, unless something really odd happens, we will be looking at the UK, we'll be looking at Spain, we'll be looking at France, uh, perhaps the Netherlands, and then you know we'll kind of move across from there. And as probably, hopefully everybody's looking this or not, but the answer is they're all time highs every day. Their hospital systems are absolutely now almost paralleling Delta. 
Let's talk a little more about testing because we know that that continues to be something that people are having difficult, a difficult time getting access to. We're seeing these long lines at various locations. As someone who, uh, you know, has dealt with testing, do you feel that enough is being done? What do you think needs to be done on the testing front to not only assist people to get the access to these tests, uh, given that they're so hard to come by, uh, but what if there should be any sort of protocol that put into place where the text testing mechanism is tied into? what people are allowed to do or are not allowed to do? Mm, yeah, there's there's two good answers to that. The first one is very simple and straightforward. Um, are we doing enough testing? Is our testing adequate? It's like, no, 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 and no. Um, and then what would be the plan to take it to another level? And then how would you utilize it? So the answer to the first question is also something that uh, we were able to study from before Omicron even came across uh, the Pacific from uh, China, um, Taiwan and South Korea especially had a wonderful program. And that's how I started our first testing programs in the state um, is utilizing the, the best practice they have. But throughout this pandemic, the best practice is a number when you're predicting testing is percent positivity. So you need to look and study your percent positivity. Right now, they say, oh, it's about 20%. But if you look at the trend in the last five days, we're 35 to 40% uh, of percent positivity. And what that means is 45% of every or 40% of every test is positive. That's outrageous. That is that basically means that we probably need three to four times the number of tests available in the community to identify the positives. And so essentially you translate that epidemiologically. And so this 3000 today is likely, which we all believe when you combine the home tests and that percent positivity, we're probably dealing with 10 to 15,000 people a day are truly infected in our state right now. Okay, so translate that forward. This is something that is black and white. This is an emergency. This is like the tsunami and the hurricane hitting Hawaii at the same time. Diamond Head should be activated. There should be a statewide coordinated effort to test and to coordinate all the assets and all the resources. And there should be someone with the background of like, you know, uh, General Hara and those types of people that understand logistics and supply chain management and timing of all of this. And, you know, to take it a step further, um, and, and I've talked to Mayor Kim all the time. He's emergency management great. He would be an outstanding person to work with this. He'd, he'd volunteer his time. But to take it further, one size doesn't fit all, fit all. As you see, we have slightly different numbers. We're seeing a big surge in Maui. You know, we're going to have massive surges here still. Then if you have a coordinated effort, you can plan testing in areas as the surge goes up, increase the access. If it goes down in an area, shift it over to another area. So there, there is a coordinated way this testing should be done and be made available. And, um, and then, you know, one of the things that frustrates me is we have these mainland vendors who came in and got non-bid contracts and they are shipping. I don't think people realize unless you're getting that. They get your PCR they ship it to Salt Lake City or a lab on the mainland. And that's not because we don't have lab capability. I talked yesterday 
partway through the day to our number one lab in the state, Clinical Laboratories of Hawaii. They have five to 6,000 PCRs a day they could do. Given them one week, they could increase their capacity to 10 to 12,000. That's in, over and above everything we have. So when I hear our leadership say, oh, we don't have capacity, that's just not true. Um, Yenji and Ryan, this morning, I just ordered 500,000 rapid PCR tests that I'll have delivered next week. I put orders in. The testing's available if you know where to look and know where to go. So, um, so you know, we, we really need some kind of coordination uh, of the testing. And the same thing would translate through to the vaccinations. But Well, let me ask you about that curve that you were saying. And, and you know, you said that we're in an upward trajectory. What is the ceiling on, on that? You know, when we look at the cases, what kind of a level of, of cases are you expecting? And, and at some point, you know, everyone is then infected. Does it just sort of burn through the entire community? Or where do you see this going? And how long does that trend mm -hmm. continue? Wow, you're getting into the to the really meat of the of the complexity, which I don't believe is being um, um, uh, discussed well enough to the public. And um, so the answer is yes, this will eventually start downward trending. Yes, because of that R naught or the contagious factor, since this is the second most infectious virus in the history of what we know in modern medicine it is going to be rapidly spreading. Um, so will it ultimately run out of um, individuals? Yes, that's what will happen. You had, you had one of two choices. Either people would actively um, respond, quarantine, and we would shut down, or it will go through or a combination of both. You know, clearly we're not shutting down anything. And so essentially what we're doing is just having this move through our population. And, uh, I'd love to to give you um, about a two minute overview of some of the breaking, breaking, really important news that we're getting from a data perspective that kind of answers that question, um, if possible. Yeah, please, please go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So one of my pet peeves is from the very beginning, we use the word mild to describe Omicron. Okay. That has led to a something planting in people's brains to think, well, it's mild, so I don't have to worry about it. Well, we finally now have stratifications of what it means. So, and this is so important because it's going to be able, this is what the people are going to be able to use. So now we have data that shows multiple factors. So we have the first group is the um, COVID naive and non-immunized. All right. If you are one of them, never had COVID non-immunized, this will kill you just like any variety of COVID. This is serious. This is something you have to pay attention to. So then you go to a second group, which is prior COVID infected. And you could take the, the alpha, the beta, uh, gamma, delta, and now Omicron. And now we're getting some good studies that will take each of the long acting immunity that persists. And it shows that fortunately, there is some of that deep T cell, B cell that will come up and fight Omicron. We were really wondering that. Um, so there is some protection. It does then, as we know, it wanes 
after 60 days down to 120 days, the protection you get will go down. All right, now let's go to what we've been advocating and that this supports it is now you take the vaccinated. You take one shot, you take two shots, you take three shots. And as we know, the more, once you get up to three shots, you're you know really in good position when it comes to the protection with still evidence coming out of Israel that you will start waning after three shots. That's why Israel is now moving to fourth shots. Now, finally, the final category is the people that have gold in their pocket. You've been vaccinated and you've had COVID, right? So now you have the vaccinated with alpha, uh, vaccinated and alpha, beta, gamma, delta, Omicron. And so um, if you have three shots, and you were vaccinated, man, you, you're like, you know, go party, you know, because you, you were, you can go, you are really in good shape. So I think what I went through a detail of that, because that's why people have to realize why are we seeing right now the quote unquote variations of the number of people who get admitted or the number of people that get put on ventilators. It's exactly because of that, because we now have a combination of a large number of people in the world are starting to have infection and therefore prior immunity. And we have a large number of vaccinations and we're starting to see a large number of both. That is exactly why when we had this craziness where everybody pointed to South Africa and said, oh, look at South Africa. It's mild. Therefore, everything's going to go down. They had a 70 percent prior prevalence of Omicron infection. So they were carrying a lot of natural immunity into helping keep it from keeping it from surging. So now to take that one step further, we really have great data that we were all worried about that because Omicron mutated so much, was there going to be enough effect of the other vaccines and the, and the other uh, infections? Yes, it's not full, but it does. But now here's the more important thing. If your only infection is Omicron because it is so different, will it confer immunity to a future variant or to a future mutation? So that's one question that will leave the whole story up in the air as we move forward. But by and large, the information we have now, remember all the data I'm telling you is two days old. This is all coming out in the two days from CDC and research over the world, which is high quality research, that it does look good for us that the cross immunity combined with the, um, the vaccinations will start to allow us to get to the point where we're going to have less and less disease spreading. And we may see that um, there's going to be some light at the end of the road by the end of the year. Well, thanks for kind of detailing all of that. Uh, you know, when we're looking at some of the restrictions that have been put in place and the implementation of some of the rules that, you know, that's happening here in the city county of Honolulu, one of them, of course, is the safe access program where people have to show some sort of vaccine verification or a negative test to enter establishments and gatherings. Uh, given uh, what you just said, with the number of people who are vaccinated that are still getting uh, Omicron and th these breakthrough cases are on the rise, are you know the safe oahu the safe access program is that valid because the fact that really those who are vaccinated are still um you know spreading this mutation to others in the community 
Yeah, it's um, no, it's not. I mean, you know, basically, depending on all, and it, and then again, going through my long dissertation, you could take it and depend on if you're six months out or five months out, you're you're sitting barely what maybe twenty percent, you know. So you're so there's an eighty percent that person is walking into your venue is infected or could be infected. So the answer is no, it, that, that has to be updated with the data and the science that we know. Uh, I, I'm a little disappointed. Mayor Victorino originally announced a very progressive plan to move to three shots. Today he announced, or yet last night, he's, he's nixing that, that they're not gonna require three shots. But basically I have gone on on all my international TV time with CNN and two and a half months ago, as we started to get the waning immunity, you know, I've been calling on them to finally change the data to say that full vaccination right now is three shots. Two, two vaccines right now in the world we're in, regardless of what we have now, especially with Omicron or what we're going to see, is not um, full immunity. So why are we putting a false sense of security that, you know, two shots is fine to come in anywhere? And I think that translates right over to safe travel. You know, safe travel has the same issue. And, uh, and you know, from the field, we I, I still have testing going on in a lot of the hotels and all over the place. We have lots of people coming into the state that are then infected, and uh, and not to their not to their you know that they're they're not doing it on purpose, but it's by virtue of how contagious the disease is. So, Ryan, the answer to your question is those all need to be modified. Uh, you know, I like, for example, my group also does a lot of TV. We're doing a big Netflix event uh, tomorrow in California, and they just immediately changed. They reduced their venue size, but they immediately changed vaccinated or not. Everybody's tested before they come in. That's it. Plain and simple. I want to ask you about Mayor Blangiardi. Uh, he, you know, obviously he did put some, a restriction in place for uh, event indoor events over a thousand, but not nearly uh, what I would imagine your group would call for. I'm interested to know, though, in his thinking, he laid out in his press conference that he's not looking so much at daily case counts. He says we really need to get away from that and focus on hospitalizations. Do you think hospitalizations are a more accurate metric when we consider shutdowns and other restrictions? Uh, no. And the, I, I have a major issue with that as we've, you know, we transitioned. It, it almost seems like leadership here in Hawaii and across the country, depending on what, what, who you're paying homage to, basically change and they move the, move the dial to accommodate their, their uh, preferences. And I've complained across the board for this reason. Look at the total numbers. We have not yet come to grips with long-term COVID. Those people out there, we now have data already showing Omicron is creating long-term COVID. And up until this point, 40% of anybody who became infected has long-term COVID. You know, we look right now, employers can't find anybody to work. You know, we are, we are disabling massive amounts of our population. So we're looking at that one little metric of 300, 400, yet we can have 100,000 people, 110,000, and it's going to keep on rising, infected. And you know how many people? 8% is the average who will then be permanently disabled. So we need to look at, you want to talk about population health, 
looking at hospitalizations is a pigeonhole of, and I'm not denying that the people who lose lives are critical, and that's a whole other story that we could have saved half of these lives. But by looking at hospitalizations, you've ignored the population as a whole. You've ignored the suffering as a whole. You've ignored the, um, the uh, complications medically. You've ignored the disability. Think about that. There's, there's going to be 10, 15, 20,000 people probably by this time this pandemic is done in our state that will never work again and will have a premature mortality. So once, remember, we never get the discussion when you just focus on these little discussions of hospitalizations. COVID is a systemic disease unlike we've ever seen. It causes systemic disease in the lungs, in the heart, in the brain. It causes clotting, it causes amputations, it destroys your kidneys. So when these people have gone into the hospital or have survived, their lives are gonna be changed forever, many of them in a large percentage. So I look at the people of Hawaii in the future, it's never discussed. And so that's why I totally disagree with that. You have to be looking at, um, at uh, the, the case counts. And then the second issue is you must also think about our health system and these people that are collapsing. That is just so, so inappropriate. Uh, the strain we put on our nurses, doctors, and staff. No, I want to ask you a question about some of the other things that you are doing on a national level. Uh, you had mentioned before we had gone live uh, your work with setting up testing programs for the SEC, uh, for the NHL. You're also working with Disney as well as you just mentioned this Netflix event, uh, different types of events that are happening on the mainland to do these mass testing and setting up these testing protocols. Uh, do you think that that could be something that we need to implement here in the state of Hawaii? And to what degree do you think that the state has a capacity to be able to hold these, say, testing protocols before any event, before maybe even students going into school. Uh, how would something like that even get off the ground knowing that there has to be so much testing available to be done? Well, the first question is, is the testing available? And the answer is absolutely. As, uh, as I said, you know, I just pushed a button and ordered 500,000 tests. The tests are available. Uh, so the answer is yes, it's available. It can be done in our state. Um, and, uh, and I will tell you, it's not publicized because I, I keep the confidentiality, but there have been some fairly large groups over the last two months, um, some major manufacturers, some major computer companies that had their end of the year events for workers from all over the world. I had teams there and we were testing some of them twice a day. And, you know, we would test uh, six, seven, eight hundred a day to keep them safe because it was so important. Uh, the answer is, as I said, you know, with Netflix, it'll be a couple thousand people. And uh, for an arena that has four thousand, uh, then, you know, they're all tested as they go in. That's best practice. This is happening all over the country. I could I could name you 30 things that have happened all over. And um, but I will also say if you go down to the south right now and some of the places that have different edges, they're not doing it. But if you go to other places that are more progressive, they're, you know, they're watching out for what's going on. You know, L.A. County just changed uh, some of their procedures for this event for tomorrow. So it can be done. Is there staff to do it? Yes. Is there testing to do it? Yes. Is it best practice? Yes. Um, is it expensive? It's not that expensive. The price points of the test kits have dropped tremendously, tremendously. So the only cost is the staff to be there doing the testing. And it's, uh, you know, we can do like the 2000 event, 
three, four hours, and we'll have 2,000 people tested in 15 minutes and, and through. So it's possible. I want to ask you, schools went back into session this week. Uh, what are your thoughts on schools being open right now? We know that there is you know, a huge trade-off here. So many students suffered so greatly by doing distance learning, and a lot of them didn't even engage. We, we see really a lot of learning loss that happened. So you know, the need for kids in schools is undeniable. But how do you feel about kids going back right now? Do you think that, it, that it's safe? Um, I'll give it two words, grossly negligent. And here is what I have said and what I will continue to say. Number one, I absolutely believe in in-person learning. We need our kids back. We've needed them back and I totally support it. And I have said this numerous times publicly. If you are a parent and your child is below the age of being able to be vaccinated, they shouldn't be in school. Pediatric admissions are soaring across the country. For whatever reason, Omicron is affecting those children that sub five, six. Also, you just have to look at the fact that how few of our kids in that five to 11 have even gone to get vaccinated. So if your child isn't vaccinated, I'd be very concerned. Now, here's my big, big, big feeling of what is grossly negligent. If your child has any health conditions whatsoever that will put them at risk, immunosuppression, certain medications, having significant obesity, having diabetes, our state should be obligated to provide them distant learning, period, because they are at risk to be going into a closed classroom. Number two, our teachers, I'm a son of a 35-year teacher, so I have a special feeling knowing what they go through. Our teachers, if you have any of the risk factors, which there's another study just came out yesterday by CDC that defined this, um, you should not be forced to go back to work. To put your health care, your health at risk, um, where there is no program in play is uh, now. So next, so first of all, those two groups, there should have been a program in play to allow those people to be uh, able to have alternatives. Now you go forward and say, what are we doing? Um, I'm involved, my group in New Mexico ran the pilot for the country for what's called a test to stay program. And that's a special program that uses testing for all the students that allows them to stay and allow, and a perfect example. So if you have a classroom of 25 and one student gets positive, alternatively, a lot of times you send all 25 home and they quarantine. Well, test to stay says and showed by, this came out of the UK, that if you then do testing day one, day three, day five, day seven, in the school, you keep the other 24 there and you find out if someone converts immediately to allow the kids to stay. We Have we talked about that in the state? No, it's going on. It was funded and announced by Biden um, in the second week in uh, December. So the monies are here for the state. And number two, it's best practice. It's being used all over the United States and we're not using it. So my, my complaint about the DOE is we have had two months before we knew our kids were going to go back and we have done nothing new. We just still have that same little post up that came, look at the dates from November 10th to 17th is when they looked at it last, that just says, you know, whatever. My final point with schools is that we should have taken some of that funding and we should have taken it and invested in high quality masks to give to those kids that they were shown how to wear because that's the one thing in a closed environment that you can do to help. 
And that's a message for anybody listening that please find a good mask for your kids. Don't use a cloth mask or don't use a bandana when they're going to be in a poorly ventilated area for 45 minutes with people three feet apart. Masks are essential when we should have gone out there to help our Kagi. Well, unfortunately, our time is almost up. Uh, but before we let you go, I did want to just bring in one question here. You know, there seems to be a lot of questions about testing and how people can get access. One uh, person asking, what brands uh, of test kits uh, does Dr. Miskovich recommend for home use? Is there one that you recommend? And for anyone else out there who may be trying to get testing, what advice would you give them in terms of where they should look, uh, given the numbers that we're seeing for testing? Um, we have some new studies and new data that is coming out on the validity of testing in uh, Omicron. So uh, I have basically come out and stated there's su it's such a wild west out there with some of these test kits. I would stay with the three biggest companies that are not just pop-up companies that develop tests based off of new data. Um, uh, BD, uh, Benetton Dixon is, is high quality, Quidel and Abbott. Those are the three brands. If you can find another one just rated high called uh, Flowflex, those are the four that I would say I would accept. But right now, over-the-counter tests are practically impossible to find. And um, then here's another real quick one. There is really new data that we're getting because of the way Omicron is affecting us that we're considering that rapid antigen may be more highly detectable in the early phases with oral swab versus nasal swab. We're finding there's almost a three-day delay in some of the recent studies that show nasal swabbing in rapid testing is not you know, uh, identifying it. There's a technique that um, I used uh, that now is, is verified, is you have people cough three times um, on their own to try to produce some saliva, and then they just reach up and get their gums, their jaws, their their, from their teeth and as far back as they can. And that's going to be a more accurate collection sample uh, for that. Wow. Well, Dr. Miskovich, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We will definitely have you back. We really appreciate all of your insights, all the research that you presented and all the practical tips you gave our audience. Thank you so much. Mm, thanks. And thank you guys for keeping this up and, and keep the truth coming. That's all we need. I think our people in the state of Hawaii, we can handle the truth. And that's all we need to do, facts and truth. And um, we'll get through this. All right. Thank you, doctor. Take Thank care. You. Aloha. Wow. Very sobering numbers that he presented to us today. By his estimation, the, uh, the you know, we could be looking at 10 to 15,000 positive cases, many undetected, um, rather than the 3,000 number that we are seeing right now, or th let me see, 3,500 today. Um, he said that we're basically at this place, uh, just an upward vertical trend when it comes to case counts, and he doesn't see that leveling off for some time. Uh, some experts have estimated that we could see up to 10,000 uh, cases per day in the state of Hawaii. Let's hope that's not the case. Of course, he talked about the importance of distancing and masks and, of course, testing if you can find one. Yeah, and you really heard uh, from him being critical that the state is, frankly, not doing enough testing, that more should be done. And, you know, he's saying that there are tests out there. They are available. There is a way to get them in. Uh, but looking for the state leaders to have a uh, more strategic approach when it comes to how they're doing testing, where they're doing testing, and what they're doing with that uh, data in order to, you know, make changes to any policies that have been put in place 
to help to bring this uh, curve down and, and this upward trend that we are seeing. Uh, you also heard from him at the very end there for those who were asking about the different test kits, about the uh, ones that he recommends, uh, but also that you know this is something that we could be seeing continuing happening for some time. Yeah, and, and in his estimation, the safe access program and safe travels, those should be amended so that you'd have to have three shots, the two shots plus a booster to qualify as fully vaccinated. Simply having the two shots, he says, is not adequate at this time because of waning immunity and the strength of this particular variant. One thing that I thought was really interesting that he pointed out was that the language of how we talk about Omicron, he said, is a mistake that ca classifying this variant as giving you mild quote COVID, quote unquote, uh, gives people the false impression that this does not, you know, cause too much damage. And he's saying that a lot of the folks who catch this particular uh, variant can still develop long-term, long-haul COVID. And there are a lot of, you know, risks and a lot of things that we don't know about that because it is so new. New, But he's saying that this can be debilitating for people for months, years, uh, you know, indefinitely. And so that we shouldn't really think of this as mild. Very, very interesting to hear from him. Uh, he's calling on state leaders to change. And on Monday, we'll be going straight to the top. That's why we'll be speaking with Governor David Ige on Monday to get his thoughts on how things are going here in the state of Hawaii with COVID-19. These cases, of course, the governor giving the powers back to the mayors just a few months ago to make the decisions to manage their own counties. Uh, we'll hear from the governor if he plans to change that at all, if he needs to take back the reins and uh, if he plans to do anything to help to bring these numbers down or if he will continue to allow the mayors uh, the authority to make the decision what's best for the county. Also, the legislative session is coming up. New projections uh, forecasted uh, show a little bit more money than the state thought they would be getting from uh, the, from taxes this, uh, this next fiscal year and how the governor plans to work with the legislature in order to spend some of that money and what his plans are heading into his final term as governor. We'll be asking him all those questions on Monday. We thank you for being a part of this conversation. We'll see you right back here on Monday at 1030. Have a great weekend. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Long's Drugs and Beachside Roofing.